Good morning. It's so great to see life happening and to hear life happening in the church. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Gay City Vineyard. Not only is my microphone a buzz, but y'all are such a buzz right now. It's great. It's great to just hear the life that's happening inside these walls. It's, it's really amazing. So good morning, everyone. My name is George Ling. I told Paul this morning I'm sorry that I didn't look as, as great as his beautiful wife. Sorry for all of you guys. You have to look at me for, for a little bit, so I apologize for that. But, man, what, a, what an awesome privilege. My name is George Ling. I'm one of the elders here at Gate City, and, and they keep asking me to talk, so I keep saying, well, okay, if, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine with me. I, I really, really love it. So good morning to everyone online. Glad, to, glad that you're spending some time with us here this morning as well. What a great morning. Isn't it great to know that we have a good, good shepherd? On a beautiful day like, like we have today, you know, we, we, I'm going to walk through and talk through the home, but on a beautiful day like this that we have a good shepherd that's going to walk us through the green, green pastures and is going to take us to the clear, clear water so that we can drink. And that's what worship was this morning, I believe. It was a walk through that beautiful pasture in the early of the morning, in the cool of the morning, and then to take that big drink of his presence. Man, what an honor it is. This church has got something going on. And I don't say that. There's something going on, and I, I'm being serious. And I really honestly believe that the Spirit of God is, is, is changing our atmosphere in our midst. As we watch, he's doing amazing things in our presence. And this is all free, by the way. And I mean, I think it ain't no joke that we have an outdoor service coming up. I really feel in my bones that we're going to see even more of the power of God displayed as we go outside of these walls and meet the people right where they are. I mean, you know, Paul said that miracles are for the unbelievers. Miracles, signs and wonders are for those to kind of go, whoa, something real is happening. And so I'm excited about I'm excited about next Friday. I'm really excited because God has been showing off in the walls. I can't wait to see what he does outside of them. Woo! Yeah. So last week, last week, Pastor Beth, bless her heart, she got to really geek out with charts and, and sevens and all this stuff. And boy, she was really excited. So hello, Pastor Beth in, in New York. We love you. Um, but yeah, she was having a real good time up here, and, and so it was really cool. It was really cool. So does anyone remember what the miracle was that she talked about? Water into wine. What kind of wine? The best, the finest, yes. And it got saved for last. Isn't that awesome? From water. Woo! Usually you water down wine, and it ain't the best, right? And who was it that spurned? Jesus onto this miracle. And what, what did he call her? Woman. Woman. I, I'm going to start calling Trisha that woman. <laughs> okay. Wait. This is also free. I don't mess with Trisha too much because she punches hard. You know. But 
She's got sharp elbows, too, so I, ma- I imagine Mary was using some of those sharp elbows. Jesus, Jesus, man, you, you need to step up here. But speaking of miracles, man, as God's grace would have it, last week, as worship was going on, I mean, I just really felt the presence of the Lord just overwhelming. I was, I was starting to just really tear up and, and well up, and then Charles gave a word about a car accident and and a neck injury and he he didn't know this story because this happened probably before he was born no it was like 13 years ago so uh <laughs> cut you some slack young man yeah 13 years ago uh, we got the pictures here that was my car i got i got smashed up pretty good by a big old work van and uh after after all the spinning and slamming and the car came to a stop. I was completely out. I am awakened to a tap, 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 tap on, on the driver's window, and it's a it's a uh, bicycle police officer coming around from the city, and he's like, I'm surprised you woke up, but the firemen are on their way. Took them, a, took them a few minutes to get me out of the car, but I had developed a neck injury from that point, and I've been living it for 13 years. And this young man said God was doing something to somebody who was in a car accident and had a neck injury. Guess what? Our God is good. And so this morning, I, I have full expectation that he is going to do even more. So yes, God, glory God, and man, it's all yours, God. Do something. Do something. So today we're, we're continuing through our journey in the book of John so that you may believe and live. So I, I hope that, that the thing that God did for me last week just really catches your spirit because you might have something that you want God to do for you. And he's able. He's able. Thirteen years I dealt with this pain. And it's gone. So thank you, Lord. So there's no doubt that in a room this size, yeah. There's no doubt that in a room this size people are carrying stuff. And you've been carrying stuff probably for a while. And God is able. And God is good. And God is big. So thank you, Lord. So in, a, in another, another stroke of God's grace, I get to teach on a, on a wonderful story that I just absolutely love. I love John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. And it's, it's one of my favorites. And it's probably not, it's not one of my favorites because I totally understand everything that's going on. So forgive me. You know, you guys are going to have to listen to stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> Not the best teacher, but here we go. But what's wonderful about this and what's wonderful about John, and I love his writings, is that he gives us this, these vignettes of Jesus in these moments that are absolutely beautiful, right? And that they're, they're so full of detail that it feels like you're just right there, that you're, a, you know, you're sitting right there with them listening. And that's, that's what's so remarkable about this story have you have you given thought yourselves like what kind of conversation would you have with Jesus what kind of question would you have for him you know I ponder those kind of things all the time it's like man if Jesus were right here at the dinner table what what kind of things would would I ask him John 3 we have the account of a man who is being drawn to Jesus He's heard some teachings, he's seen some miracles, 
the town is abuzz, and he's like, man, who is this guy? He's being drawn. Wasn't that the same with all of us? And even this morning, I could feel a drawing into the Spirit. A draw, you know, he was drawing us through our songs and our worship of him. He's kind of bringing us close and saying, come on. Papa's got big old arms. Step on up here and talk to me. That's, I, I love that Jesus continues to just draw us, draw us, draw us. So when I was about, when I was about four years old, I was living with my, with my grandmother, my, my mom, and, and myself and my older brother. We were in Puerto Rico. Uh, my dad was serving two terms in Vietnam, two tours in Vietnam. And um, so we moved to, to live in Puerto Rico with my, with my grandmother for a season. And at that age, I was four years old when we first moved down there, I loved to draw. Man, I was drawing everything. I, I was copying pictures. I was copying the cartoons in the Sunday papers. You know, anything I could draw, I was drawing it. And my grandmother, who, who was a teacher at the, at the high school, she looked at my drawings and she said, this ain't normal for a four-year-old. <laughs> These are pretty good. And she had a, she had a cousin who was a, a, a pretty pretty well-known painter in, in uh, Spain and, and in Puerto Rico. And so when he would come, she would tell him, get, it, get some books for him, get some books for him. And so he'd bring me these beautiful books with these beautiful paintings. And I would, I mean, as a four- and five-year-old, I was going through these Renaissance artist paintings, man. It, you know, they were just gorgeous, these full-page plates of art, you know, from, from uh, Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo <laughs> and Leonardo and <laughs> I wasn't the first fan of these guys because they you know this was so long ago they weren't even around but it was these things show the next slide come on it's in there is it stuck on these guys oh come on but anyway they were there we go there we go so here we have Raphael's Ascension. We got Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper. We got Donatello, the, the Virgin in the Clouds, and Michelangelo, La Pietà. I mean, these pieces of art were absolutely gorgeous to my four- and five-year-old mind. And I looked at how much love and care were depicted in these images, and I thought, man, what made these? I mean, it's a four-year-old thinking, you know. What made these guys put this kind of care into this type of work? And none of my family went to church. I had no idea about any of the stories of the Bible, you know, and, and I grew up that way. Um, but these images were constantly drawing me. I mean, and, and as we can see, they're, they're images depicting pieces of the Bible, stories of the Bible, or, or images pulled. And, it, and, I mean, when I look at the Pietà, I mean, I just see that sorrow, that deep sadness, but that deep love, right? And th this stuff drew me as a young child, and, and, and as I was wanting to be an artist throughout my life, I mean, I, I just kept being drawn to these types of images and, and to the notion that I was not alone. 
that there was something bigger out there beyond that could impact people to make work like this. I mean, what was going on in their hearts to really pour themselves out? So there was something bigger, and it was drawing me. Through my whole lifetime, I just felt this drawing, this, this thing that there was someone who loved me richly and deeply. And so when I, when I had the opportunity to graduate high school and go on to college, when I, got to, when I got to Greensboro College, the first thing I did is I joined every Christian group I could, I could join. I joined the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I, the, the Student Christian Fellowship, and, and a couple others. And, and around this season, it was November of 1981, I was walking back to my dorm with the uh, president of the, of the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's a big fella. His name was Tom. Sweet man. You know, he was just a big, big old sweet teddy bear. I was walking back with him, and, and I said, Tom, I want what you have. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I don't know what to do. I want what you have. And he's like, George, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know how to get Jesus. And he's like, George, you come to every meeting. You come to all these organizations. You're a member of all these clubs. What, what are you talking about? I said, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's my point. <laughs> With my rational mind, I don't understand, but I want what you guys have. And I want it as quick as I can get it. And so we sat down at the, at the steps of the chapel at Greensboro College where in a couple of years I would marry m my sweet wife. And he answered all my questions and graciously led me to Jesus. Yeah, November of 1981. And uh, what an amazing, what amazing journey it has been. But in our story, we're going to meet a Pharisee. And we all know what, what a Pharisee is, right? They were inf influential religious sect in Ju Judaism in the time of Christ in the early church. They were known for their emphasis on personal piety and, and um, righteousness. You know, they, they held themselves above everyone else, and they, they walked out the 600 laws, 600-plus laws in the, in the Torah. And they, they also, um, you know, also believed in the oral traditions that, that were there. So they had a lot on their plate that they were kind of pushing on everyone. So this made them a little bit... A little bit prideful and arrogant as well, but, but they were mostly middle-class businessmen, and, and they were learned, they were scholars, they were leaders in the synagogues, and, and they, even though they were a minority in the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling sect, they, they held a minority number of positions in, as priests. They seemed to control the decision-making, as we've seen throughout Scripture, of the Sanhedrin because they had popular support among the people. So that sta sets the stage for... For what we're getting ready to see, we have, we have a man who was a Pharisee, and he's going to come to Jesus. So John 3, 1 and 2 sets the stage for us. Now there was a Pharisee.
questions he wants to ask and not have all these people witnessing their conversation. So it's a very intimate point for uh, Nicodemus. He called him rabbi. We know you are a teacher. Rabbi, my master, my teacher is, is the term that he And he uses the word we. So there's, there's no one else that came with him. But what we can discern from this is that there were others in the circle that Nicodemus walked in that also were thinking these things. We, we know these things about you, right? So outside of Nicodemus's uh, questions and, and his thoughts about him, we kind of we think after he makes this statement, we know you're a teacher. No one could perform these signs outside of God. I'm, I'm thinking that Jesus' next response to him from, from this start of the conversation might be, you've done well. You've discerned perfectly. You've done, you know, in Matthew 16, 15, 17, there's this conversation. Jesus like this for Nicodemus, right? Makes sense. Let's read John 3, 3. Very truly I tell you, no What? Are you still on that, on that uh, wedding wine, Jesus? What's going on? I mean, it doesn't really flow conversationally, does it? He's saying, we know you're a teacher sent from God and, and only... By God, could you do the things you're doing? Well, you know, no one can, can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That's pretty confusing stuff. And in verse 4, Nicodemus, he, he's a little caught off. He's flummoxed. He goes, how in the world can someone be born possible right let's not be a little a little hard on nick here raise your hand if you thought this conversation is getting a little confusing yeah it's not flowing really good is it it doesn't make a lot of sense he just goes straight into that from we know you know in essence nicodemus is asking who are you and jesus is saying no one can enter or see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again this is an interesting, interesting uh, shift in this conversation. So Jesus gracefully clarifies for us in John 3, 5 through 8. Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of At this point, it's still kind of a little murky, right? But it is getting there. And, and even scholars today still debate what the water references is, is in the scripture. 
Some say it's physical birth, baptism, another term for the spirit. I mean, whatever our understanding is, we come to this place by putting our firm and complete trust in the person of Jesus Christ. We know John the Baptist was baptizing by water for the repentance of sin, and that's part of our life track, isn't it? In the, in the faith is, is, is we, we, we see this Jesus and we acknowledge that he's the Lord of our life, and so we accept him into our heart, and then we follow in obedience into baptism, which shows that we have come to a place where we are changing our life. That's the outward sign that we are turning away from our former life and moving towards the life that Jesus offers. Our acceptance and walking with Jesus is the new life offered in the Spirit. Coming to Christ and allowing Him to work in us by faith and relationship is being born again, being born in the Spirit. You know, back in the garden, God said, do not eat from the fruit of this tree or you will surely die. Did Adam and Eve die when they ate the apple, fruit, whatever it was? Not the death we expected them to die, right? So we, 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 they, right, they, they didn't die a physical death in that moment. They died a spiritual death in that moment, an immediate separation from God. They disobeyed, and they were immediately separated from the life of God and his presence. So, so through this disobedience, death in time has entered the picture because then they would die the earthly death, just like we do. So now, you know, what's been put into play is we live out a life, but we also have a physical death. And that's what, what their disobedience put us towards. The death that occurred in that moment was a spiritual death, a separation from the daily presence of God. They were no longer walking with him in the garden they had to endure new things, life hardships in, new and different, in a new and different way. The constant connection that they had with God was severed. So from this time forward and for generations forward, all birth would be solely the birth through flesh, and death was an inherent birthright until Jesus. Drop the mic. Boom. Until Jesus. The elephant in the room today, as it was for Nicodemus, is this idea of being born again. What is that? It can be confusing because in our American culture, we use this Christianese, and some, some people say, oh, I'm saved by grace, and some others say, well, I'm, I'm a born-again believer. What are these things? And, and as Nicodemus responds in John 3, 9, he said, how can this be? What is this? This is a man who teaches Israel. He's a teacher to teachers, and yet he's still confused. The Pharisees held a standard to bring an earthly piousness through all the things that they did. They were bringing about an earthly piousness and an earthly righteousness. Can we get a little bit that way ourselves? Thinking that we're right about certain things and not really hearing or listening. But this is what they did. So often, Nicodemus is confused because often the Pharisees took a literal meaning to his teachings. So... Most of the time, they were maybe half right at best. They knew, there, they knew there would be a day when the world would be transformed by the coming of the Messiah. They called this the rebirth. Rebirth was a term that they used when Gentiles accepted Judaism. They were reborn into 
this new faith. Pharisees were, were arrogant and prideful, and they held the notion that Jews did not need to be renewed or converted, especially in a spiritual or moral connotation. So how can a man have a new heredity, characteristics instilled through genetics, and how can a man have a new will? So this is all going through, through Nicodemus's mind because he's so used to all these rules and all these laws that made him pious and righteous, right? He's not understanding that there's something bigger going on. How can a man change that which has been instilled through time and circumstance? How can he change those things in his life? I mean, these are great questions, right? They're very good questions. How can he truly change? How can I change? How can we change? This is the hope we have in Jesus. He does an amazing work in us. So what does this phrase born again mean to you? Are you as confused by this, this turn of a phrase as Nicodemus? Are salvation and born again the same thing? Because it can sound like two different things, but they are the same thing. They're, they're married like this. These concepts are the same. Salvation is the gift by which being born again occurs. You can't separate them. The gift that begins a great and wondrous journey, it can look and sound like two different things, the way we kind of use these terms flippantly. And that can be confusing, but they're the same thing. Salvation is that doorway to being born again. This does not happen by confession alone. Belief in Christ is supposed to be much more than just words. It should encompass every part of our life and our being. Saying we are Christians alone does not mean we are living a fully committed life to him. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. What are the keys there? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's a heart thing that's, that's there's a drawing of your heart that, that has to happen. And I think Nicodemus is almost there, but he's asking the wrong questions, and Jesus is answering the right one. He doesn't necessarily need to know who you are in the way that he's trying to ask it. He needs to know who you are in the reality of who Christ is. So we must believe with our, with our whole heart. This results in that path to a new life. We have to lay down our life and count this cost because we're releasing our, the entirety of our life over to Christ and making him the Lord of our life. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, Jesus emphasizes, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Confession and living out that confession. Being born again does not mean we are instantly perfected. Although God is perfectly capable of, of, of when you ask him to come into your heart, of, of taking any form of addictions away. I mean, I've heard those stories where he immediately healed people of 
of, of maladies and, and addictions instantaneously, but typically this is a walk. This is a journey. We are now being reborn, and we have to start, you know, drinking milk and crawling, then walking, then running. You know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a journey. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, all of that process all over again, but in the spiritual, in our spirit man. And miraculous things happen on this journey. And so our life then, and this, this spiritual life encompasses much more than just our vices have been taken care of, right? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is, what? The Spirit. I don't know, we're behind on the slides a little bit, but it's okay. But He is the Spirit. He's the Spirit. Jesus is progressively working in us to make us into His glorious image. And as He works on repairing the damage the world has done through our flesh walk, we get reborn so that He could heal all that. And we have that opportunity to be made a new creation. Thank you. In Christ, we are made a new creation. So being born again is the new life we now have in God through Christ that is much more than just a defibrillator snapping your heart back. It's much more than that because we're born again. And we start all over new. And this is awesome. This is awesome news. We get to start over new. So in my simple mind, salvation through our belief and acceptance of the redemptive work of Jesus upon the cross rescues us from the consequences of our flesh, life, and sin and sin nature. But it also concerns an eternal spiritual deliverance as we walk or work out our salvation as referenced in Philippians 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, contributing to the work of our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Meaning, we move forward in the process Jesus begins in us. We're continuously moving forward in, in all that Jesus is doing, working with God and the Holy Spirit to allow him to, to really work from within us so that our spiritual life can be reflected in our worldly life and that we can affect the things that are around us we don't stay in a place of salvation. We move in to what's happening beyond the door of salvation. We move into that greater spiritual life. It's an amazing, amazing work of God. So knowing God and knowing about God are two different things. See, Nicodemus is, is, is kind of in that, in that phase where, where he's trying to know God God. He's known all this stuff about him, and he's tried to put all that stuff into practice through the laws and through all the things that he's known, but now, in the presence of Jesus, he's knowing about God. So Nicodemus is, is not quite there, but he's genuinely trying to understand all that's happening. But Jesus is wrecking his world. He's turning his world upside down with, with the things that he's telling him. I mean, has he not turned your world upside down? I mean, 
Trisha and I are pushing 60 years old, and God has led us to work with the youth. If that don't wreck your world, I don't know what will. But he's done so many amazing things in and through us and throughout our life. I mean, it, it really wrecks us at times, but it's all for good. It's amazing, amazing things. John uh, 3, 10 through 15, it says, You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people, you Pharisees and Sadducees, do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Man, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus has acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher that came from God and, and that God was with him in such a way that he was able to perform these miracles. But that was akin, really, to saying you're a teacher, a prophet, and like the prophets. And you have the ear to God, and God is with you so that you can do all these things. But Jesus is attempting to get through to him that he is much more than that, the Son of God, the Son of Man that must be lifted up so that he can draw all men to himself just like us in our lives we've been drawn and today you know during worship we were drawn he's continuously drawing wooing moving us towards him jesus says i'm the one who has come down from heaven the messiah this is the piece which nicodemus is is missing in this moment and jesus the teacher reaches into the old testament to bring forth the story for which nicodemus should have been well acquainted to link himself with the bronze serpent that was raised up on the pole high above in the desert to heal all those that had been bitten by venomous, venomous snakes. Moses raised up this, this bronze serpent and everyone who had been bitten by the snake could look upon it without having to go somewhere. You know, they raised it so high that if you were bitten wherever you were, you could see this, this bronze statue and it would heal them immediately. And Jesus was saying, I will be lifted up. I will be lifted up high that all men who are headed towards death can look upon me raised up on a tree and they will have life. Thank you, God. And this is, this is just beautiful. And, and the only thing I really don't like about this account is we really don't get to and, you know, Nicodemus's words are few and far between in this telling. And Jesus is getting to some stuff that's just really powerful. I'd love to see Nicodemus's uh, expressions and, and to hear more from him about what's happening. But I can only go by, as I read this account, what's happening in me as I read this. And Jesus kind of clo closes up. With John 3, 16 and 21, and, you know, we know these verses and we love this verse. We take them out of, out of the place they're in, and, and it's still beautiful. But how much more beauty, beautiful is it in the context for which it was given? That he's standing across from a man who's searching, and he tells him, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him, shall not perish, but he will have life 
eternal life. I mean, that how beautiful is that? I imagine Nicodemus is really like just feeling all this this stuff just pour into his spirit. It's got to be refreshing for someone who has to follow 600 plus laws, you know, to hear that God loves you. And he's sending his son for you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly and that what they have done has been done in the sight. And this is just beautiful. And in, in the context of this story, not pulling it out at a football game or, or pulling it out just, you know, just in conversation, when you, when you hear this in context, it is beautiful. And I imagine Nicodemus probably wept because this is the type of soul-bearing words that these are for God so loved the world he gave me to it <laughs> so as, as the worship team comes back up where are you this morning in this journey what peace might you be missing concerning Jesus have you been walking out this faith with that bit of confusion wondering what born again what your salvation really means. Do you find yourself this morning finding it difficult to reason the things of the Spirit like Nicodemus? You know, sometimes when we try to rationalize with our, national, with our rational mind, we miss the heart of God because his, his thoughts are not like our thoughts. You know, he can, he can do greatly more than we can dream or imagine exceedingly and abundantly and so this morning here wh whatever you're carrying this morning our God is big our God is strong our God is loving and our God is able has your spirit been ignited so that you can walk in the light with a firm foundation of a relationship with God and the leading of Jesus and the Holy Spirit at your side or if it hasn't would you like to have your spirit ignited this morning in order to see more power more love and more fruit in your life see the baptism of fire isn't about your ability to speak in tongues baptism of fire is the ever present life and love of Jesus in, in your heart You are a new creation. You shouldn't look the same, act the same, talk the same. We weren't called to stay at the door of salvation and hug that post and say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's great. He did that for you. But we were meant to step inside and feel and receive everything that God has for us, right? I believe the Spirit wants to do 
so much more today. And I really sense him moving in several different ways this morning, but, but the end result going to be the same. A fire burning in your spirit that turns your life into something greatly different. Whether young, whether old, new believer, mature believer, I won't say the other word, mature believer. If you're a middle journeyman, you know, in between. All of us has something new awaiting us this morning. So would you stand and, and worship and let yourself this morning through these last songs and, and through what the Spirit is doing, let yourself be drawn to what God is doing in your life and what He wants to do in your life because He has more. He has more than just your ability to say, I'm saved by grace or I'm born again. <laughs> Those are great and they're wonderful and that's what we're, we're moving towards. But he's got healing. He's got fire. He's got regeneration. I mean, his toolbox ain't empty by no stretch of the imagination. Thank God. Let's worship.